As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Father, it's a delight to come to your word. So I pray that you would focus our attention upon it. I trust that you have focused our attention upon you in these last 30 minutes or so for worship and prayer. And now you would focus our attention upon you for this act of worship, of listening to your voice. So please speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in chapter 9, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read this chapter, verses 1 through 15. Uh, 2 Corinthians and chapter 9. This is the word of the Lord. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident, so that I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, to go ahead to you, and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Will they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now we've been in 2 Corinthians since August. and So now we find ourselves in this particular chapter. I was thinking the other day that that I, I rather came to Second Corinthians to preach it under some what now appear to be false pretenses. You might remember that I mentioned that I wanted to take up Second Corinthians because Karen and I were going to go to Thailand to um, teach a group of missionaries there at a retreat. And because I've suffered actually so little in my life, I picked Second Corinthians because it's a book about suffering. And I thought this would help me relate to these missionaries. But as it turned out, as some of you know, our youngest became pregnant and told us she was going to deliver at the end of January so we couldn't go to Thailand. And we, As a guy, I rather regretted that uh, until yesterday or Friday when I saw this little baby and I thought, 
I'm glad I'm here. But I trust that Second uh, Corinthians has been profitable for whatever reason that God leads me to do things that I don't always know. And so I trust it's been profitable as all scripture has been. But we find ourselves today in, in chapter 9. Now you remember the context. Paul has been talking to them both in chapter 8 and now in chapter 9, talking to the church in Corinth about uh, a collection, an offering that he wants to take up. Uh, you might remember, if you're a reader of the Bible or have been listening as we've been talking about these things lately, that when he wrote what we call First Corinthians, at the end, he wrote to them about this collection that he wanted to take up. Now, Paul was always taking up offerings, as we've said, for the church in Jerusalem. It was poor because, no doubt, of persecution and a famine had struck. And because Paul loved the church in Jerusalem, it was that church that had sent him out, really, as a missionary. And not only that, he had this sense that that's where the gospel began. And so we must always tend to this church in Jerusalem, especially now. And there was this great witness that could happen because he was collecting an offering from Gentiles, normally the enemies of Jews, to help those Jewish people in, 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 in Jerusalem who were poor. So all of that came together. And so he had come to Corinth and he had asked them for this collection and he told them he'd be back to collect it, but they didn't collect it as far as he knows. And so he's now going to send some folks to collect it. And he rather says, I, I don't want you to be embarrassed uh, when I get there with these Macedonians who I've already bragged about you to them about how generous you are and who themselves are poor but gave out of their poverty a great amount. And so I don't want you to be embarrassed when I show up with them and you haven't made the collection. So I'm going to send some folks on ahead to make sure that it's all ready when I get there. So, so that's the context of, 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 of this. But, but really for all the reasons that Paul is talking to them about being generous, about taking up this collection for the poor Christians who are in Jerusalem. The, the real point he's making is that generosity is a characteristic, a key characteristic of any and every believer. Because, you see, there's a direct connection to having had received grace and then be one who is gracious. Because you see, grace itself is the epitome of generosity. We talk about grace and we've said this countless times in our history together. But grace is first and foremost unmerited favor. That's why it's so generous. It's, it's unmerited. In other words, the person who received the favor, who receives the gift, who receives the benefit, doesn't deserve it. It's unmerited. And the giver doesn't expect to be paid for it, doesn't want to be paid for it. In fact, the receiver probably can't pay for it. That's the point of it. It's, they haven't earned it in, in any way, shape, 
or, or, or form. It's given freely by the giver. That's the sense of grace. That's the excitement of it. That's the surprise of it. When you receive grace, there's always a sense of surprise. Look at what I've been given and then realizing I don't deserve it. I can't pay for it. I have nothing. There is nothing that I have that would have, have brought about this gift. And, and you sit and marvel at, at, at the giver. In fact, your only response can be, thank you. It's given because the giver wants to give it. It's not given reluctantly. It's not given grudgingly. It's not given because he's coerced or she's coerced to give it. But but grace is is given freely. It's unmerited favor. It's the epitome of generosity. And when we look at the grace that we've received from God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we realize that it's the greatest of grace. Because we can measure... The magnitude of grace, I think, like this. First of all, we asked the, the, the question, how deserving is the receiver? The less deserving, the greater the grace. And we look at our lives, we know the definition that we use of grace very often, given to us by our friend Jerry Bridges, that uh, Jerry says always, that grace is God's unmerited favor to sinners who deserve only judgment. So we deserve judgment, but we get forgiveness. We get pardon. We get righteousness. Uh, We get to be adopted into the family of God rather than cast away. We, we get justification. He declares us to be righteous in his sight, forgiven, and given all the righteousness that we need to stand in his presence. We, we, we go through this process of sanctification, which is grace. He gives us his Holy Spirit to transform us. He, he promises that he will glorify us. A day will come and we'll be in his presence, perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus, delighting in him. We have eternal life, not eternal death. And, and so, 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 but, but we're completely, you see, undeserving of that because we're sinners. We're God's enemies. We deserve judgment. And we can measure the magnitude of grace by looking at the sacrifice that's made by the giver. If you could say what it cost him. And of course, it costs God everything. It costs the very life of his son. The sacrifice was, was great. He who was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He gave himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The sacrifice. Though he was rich, he became poor. And those are the extremes of richness and the extremes of poverty that Jesus became. No one could be richer than God himself. No one could be poorer than a humbled man who had lost everything. The sacrifice was great. It's great grace. 
And then to measure the benefit. And the benefit for us could not be greater. We, we, we've seen the benefit to us. As we mentioned, forgiveness of sins and righteousness and justification and adoption and sanctification and glorification, eternal life, all of that, you see. Uh, so the, 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 the benefit to us could not be any greater uh, for he who knew so, no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We could be greater than that gift, the righteousness of God. And though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. So that through his poverty, we might become rich and have this great inheritance, you see. And so the epitome of grace. And, and so we've received that grace. Haven't we? We've received that grace. And so the connection is, having received grace like that, how can we not be Gracious, having received the generosity of God like that, how can we not be generous? How can that not be uh, ours? And, and not only that, but this grace that comes to us is a grace that transforms, and that transforming grace is to transform us into the image of, of the gracious one, to transform us into the image of Jesus. And so we should reflect that. And so it shouldn't surprise us at all when Christians are generous are gracious, and as we'll see from this passage today, that, that Paul is saying to them that God will supply all that we need continually to be gracious, to be generous. Now, I must say, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a gracious, generous Person, I want to be loving. I want to be one who loves my neighbor. I, I want to be uh, one who loves other believers as Christ has loved me. That's that's really in me to be now as a believer in Jesus. It's in you as well. That's in your heart if you're a believer in Jesus uh, to be loving, to be generous, to be gracious to others. You, you you know that it's there in you to be that you like me. I, I want to be free. From the love of money and the love of my possessions, as Jesus puts it. I know that I can't serve both God and, and money. I, I know that. Jesus said that. I, I know that my life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. That's what Jesus told us. Uh, uh, I know that the lesson from the rich young ruler is that I'm to submit everything to Jesus and to trust his provision in all things. I know that and I want to... Uh, that's in me, it's in you as a believer in Jesus to, to be, to be that. I want to love what God loves in such an extent that I'm, I'm willing to, I, I desire to be pleased, to give, to sacrifice, to be generous towards all that he loves. I, I want to love the church. I want to love the ministry of the church. I want to, I want to love um, Having a place where we can gather to worship. Place is important to human beings. God's put that into us to have a place 
to gather together for community's sake, to gather to worship. I want to love children in such a way that I, I desire to sacrifice and give, and it pleases me to sacrifice and give so that they can know Jesus. I, I want to give in such a way that adults know Christ and can worship him. People from all walks of life, people from all ethnicities and all races and, and, and all backgrounds to come together to worship him. I want that to be so central to me that it's the driving force of my life that nothing is too great to give for that. I want to be pleased to give so that people will know the Lord and be blessed by him. I want us to be known as a company of people to those on the outside as generous people for them to look and marvel at us and say, how can they, how can they be like that? How can they give of themselves so in such a way? What makes them like that? I want it to be that obvious where that generous people I want to meet the physical needs and the spiritual needs of, of people so that they would turn and give thanks to God. That's, that's the kind of person that I want to be. And so I have to ask the question, if that's really true, what's the hang-up? Right? What's my hang-up? What makes it difficult at times to be really generous to people in the way that God has been really generous to me? And I think, you know, well, there's some legitimate needs that compete with just sort of giving, you know? I mean, I've got a family, I've got children, grandchildren right now, and they're really expensive. Uh, and uh, I have, uh, you know, mortgages, and we have the retirement to plan for, and we have health and education issues, we have entertainment issues, all kinds of things, needs that, that we have, that we that compete, if you will, for this, this giving. And I only have so much money, and only so much energy, and, and, and only so much time, and all that. And so we, we get that, those legitimate needs. But, but I have to admit, too, that I have... I have, I have certain fears. What if I give too much, I won't have enough later. I mean, let's face it, the conventional wisdom is the more you give, the less you have. And that's true, you know. And so, I mean, just do the math. And so, uh, at least to that extent. And so, so you wonder, well, what if I give so much now and then there's an economic downturn? I wish I would have had this. Or, or well, what happens if I give so much now? Uh, I don't have a, for retirement. Or what happens if I, if I give so much now and I realize that, that, that I need really a bigger house or I need this or I need that and I don't have it because I've given so much in, 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 in the past. What? And, and then I have to realize, I mean, my selfishness. I mean, I, I realize that I look at my neighbors sometimes and I realize they're driving my tithe. You know, I think if I didn't give all this money, then I could have that too. Uh, you know, or, or, you know, they're, they're in the Bahamas on what I give to the church. I mean, if, if I, if I had that, I could be with them. And, and, uh, and, and, and so I, it's just honest, right? I mean, uh, we just realize this is just true for us. That, that, that we can be selfish in that regard. What other people think of me when I drive this or live there or only have this or can't do that. And when I gather to tell stories about all of my life, I don't have much to tell. Because I haven't been there many places. I couldn't afford to go. And so, so maybe, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the case. And, and there's certainly selfishness about what I, what I have. So how does this passage help with any of any of that. Well, Paul begins by saying, here's the point, verse 6. He says, he says here's the point. Uh, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap 
bountifully. Obviously, that's an agricultural uh, image. Uh, other things being equal, the more seed you sow, uh, the, the more you'll harvest. Uh, and so he says, all right, that's the point. I want you to, I want you to get that. Now, what's, the problem here for most of us that have been hanging around the church for a while is that this sounds a whole lot like what our prosperity or what the prosperity sort of teachers would teach, right? Uh, if you give, you'll get. The more you give, the more you'll get. And that's a crass way of saying it, I suppose. But, but even more crass is to say, I'll give so that I will get. Now, I'll do respect for those false teachers. This isn't at all what Paul has in mind, obviously. We know that. So read the Bible. It isn't about that. Now, there is a relationship between giving and getting. But we have to look at the purpose for which we get when we're generous people. And the purpose for which we get when we're generous people is so that we can even be more generous. That runs through this whole passage. And not only that, God will supply generous people with all they need to be generous. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily get more money. It may mean that your heart has changed in such a way that all your values change. And now you realize that perhaps what I've been using my money for or my time for or my energy for isn't as valuable as something else. And actually, there's a greater thrill from taking my money and taking my time and taking my energy and using it differently. I no longer value what I valued. And so it doesn't necessarily even mean you'll get more money. But you'll find yourself having sufficient to be a person who could only be termed generous. Now, I'm a bit ahead of myself, so let me ask a different question. The question is, what does it mean to be a bountiful giver? We know so sparingly, we know we're not supposed to do that. I mean, that's clear from the way the sentence runs, right? So we know that we're supposed to sow bountifully. So what does it mean to be a bountiful Sower. Now, we, we know it doesn't really ultimately have anything to do with the amount. Now, trust me, if you have a lot, it does have something to do with the amount. But, but I mean, it just does. I mean, let's face it. Uh, but, but we know that the Macedonians who were living in extreme poverty were known to be miraculously generous. Right? And you know this story. Um, in, in the King James Version of the Bible, it's, the story is titled, The Widow's Mite. I thought she had some kind of <laughs> insect on her body, but as a kid, I didn't know what a mite was. But, uh, but, but it was just, you know, she just, you know the story, Jesus sees all these people giving, and, and this woman comes up and, and gives just a little bit, it seems a couple of little copper coins, and Jesus said, she gave more than everybody. And you have to say, no, she didn't, she just, but we get the point. He said, she gave all she had. She was the generous one. So very often, poor people are more generous than the wealthy. So it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with amount. And we know Paul from chapter 8 and other places that he says it's according to your means. You can't give what you don't have. It's according to your means. Right? 
And, and, and you give not so that you're impoverished, necessarily, but you're to give according to your means. We get that. Depends on how much you have. So we understand that. But there's something here about this bountiful giving. It's really a matter of the heart. Paul says each one, and that means each one, every human, every Christian, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And see, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of our, our, our attitude. It's a matter about how we understand things, really, what really motivates us, what we really love. It's a matter of the heart. And he says, let me talk to you about our heart. Let me give you three things. Two of them are negative, one of them positive. He says, first, giving can never be reluctant. Now, the little Greek word there is associated with the word sorrow. So we're never to be sad when we give. And we can be sad when we give, when we're thinking, here goes my SUV, right? Here goes my vacation. Here goes what I could have had. I really would rather have that, but rats, you know, I got to give. And so, so it's never reluctant always to be pleased to give. It's never under compulsion, not because you have to, not because you're trying to impress somebody, not because you're coerced, not because there's a gun at your head. It's not like paying your taxes. Some of you may be thrilled to do that. I don't know. But, uh, but, but, but it's not like that. It's, it's, it's to be cheerful, as he puts it. We're to be cheerful, be glad about this. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a sacrifice. It could well be, in some sense, a sacrifice. But you know that there are some sacrifices you make that you love to make. Some sacrifices you make that you, you love to make. That you would rather have someone else have this than you. Even if you like this, you'd rather give it to them. Because the joy that you see in their face. I mean, what on earth would cause a father to give his son the last piece of chocolate cake? Right? That's, for me, you can't, it's an unbelievable sacrifice. But, but just to see the look in his face. It's worth it at that point, right? You know that. They're, and there are deep sacrifices. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He said, I'd rather give my life so that you might have life. Then keep my life. And so you see, there's sacrifice. Yes, could well be what anybody would look at as that. But it's not given with sorrow and not given because you have to. It's given because it, it pleases really to give. Paul says that's where we need to be in that particular place. And so the question would be, I suppose, at this juncture, so what if it isn't a joy? What if I find it not to be a joy uh, to give? What should I do? Now, there are times, and with people, and you know this, I've told people, don't give. Now, that can be dangerous because you get in the habit of not giving, and sometimes we get into our sin, and, and, and it, it feels good enough to us that we just keep on in it. And so that isn't always the best advice, because there can be advice that says, continue to give, but with these provisors, with these with these. Details really uh, attached. First of all, as you give, pray. 
And that prayer should consist, I think, of a couple of things, at least. Number one, that prayer should be a prayer of confession. God, I really don't want to do this. I mean, I really think I should, blah, 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 but I really don't want to do this. Please forgive me. I mean, we must endeavor take joylessness as a Christian and anything to which we're called as willy-nilly things. We should take joylessness as serious. Say, God, I don't really feel any joy in this. I'm sorry, forgive me. But, but then enable me. And I love this expression. We sing it from time to time. And I personalize it. Tune my heart to sing your grace. Tune my heart. Change my heart. You know, cause me to delight in being generous. That I'll stop complaining when people uh, ask me to do things and, and take up my time. Or I'll stop complaining when I, when I know needs and need to give. Uh, I, I won't compare what I'm sacrificing to what I'm, to what I'm giving. Uh, I'll simply give with, with great joy. So, so tune my heart to, to know your grace, to know your, to know your grace. And, and then, after that prayer, to be active in the sense of, of, of putting yourself in a place where you'll be reminded of the majesty and the glory and the grace of God. Uh, Jonathan Edwards used this expression. He said, lay yourself in the way of allurement. Right? You're looking at me like, what? Uh, Edwards. He said, lay yourself in the way of allurement. That is, put yourself in a way where God allures you to his majesty. You know, put yourself in that place that is be in worship and pay attention, read your Bible, go to Bible studies, talk to people about the, the, the grace and the wonder of God. Do that, that God would change your heart, you pray, and then, and then go after him and say, God, show me who you are and show me the value of, of, of all that you're into. Show, you, show me the value of, 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 of ministry. Show me the value of, of the church. Show me the value of, of what's going on uh, in the kingdom of God uh, and, and so that I'll do desire to, to, to cheerfully be engaged in that with everything that I am. And it doesn't feel like a sacrifice because I'm, I'm way happier. It makes me joyful to, to expend all that I have uh, for this, for you and this cause. That's one of the reasons, by the way, parenthetically, I'll talk more about this at our annual meeting thing, but, but, but uh, parenthetically, that we, we don't do stewardship campaigns and all that kind of thing in our church, right? We talk about this as we happen along it, but we don't do these, because... I don't want you to give reluctantly. We don't want you to give reluctantly or under compulsion because you feel like you have to. We want you to love Jesus. So we spend our time worshiping him and talking about how great he is and then trust that that'll work in your hearts to give so we can get the lights on and do ministry and all of that. And so pray that God will change your heart if it's joyless. Pray that he'll help you see him in the scripture and to love him and put yourself in this way of allurement so you can come to know his beauty. But then not only that, he says this, notice. He says, you're going to be cheerful about this. And you say, well, okay, help me. And he says, all right, I'll help you. You don't need to be afraid. Verse eight, and God, and just notice the alls here and the every. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, having all sufficiency 
in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, God is saying to you, I won't put in your heart a love. I won't put in your heart that which is good to do that may cost you without giving you the grace to bring it about. And so you can trust me. You can trust that I'll give you all the grace that you need. And it will actually abound in you so that having all sufficiency, that is, all contentment, all that you need, in all things, so that all times you'll be able to abound in every good work. He goes on then to quote what I read to you earlier from Psalm 112. He's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That, that, that Psalm 112 is a psalm about a righteous man, a man who fears God, and a man who gives generously. And the one expression in that psalm that every time I read it, it just bonks me on the head, is that this generous person has no fear of bad news. And it's not that he doesn't get bad news, it's just that when it comes, he's so in tuned, so trusting of God, so knows the grace of God, that he doesn't have to be afraid when bad news comes. But notice it's related to a particular heart, a particular kind of man, a particular kind of person, a person who's generous. Now he doesn't gain this, not being afraid of bad news, because he's given enough and he says, God will bail me out because I've given. No, 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 no. He's that kind of person. And he's that kind of person, a generous person, because he knows the grace of God. So I've seen God at work. And, 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 and he's made me to be a generous person. I know he's a generous God. And so if bad news comes, I don't need to be afraid because God is there in his generosity and his grace. He will help. Me. See, when we're stingy, when we're spare, uh, sowing sparingly, we're afraid to give. We're not generous. That kind of heart develops in us an attitude that says everybody's like me, even God. But a person who knows the grace of God and is generous says, oh yes, I know God. He's made me to be generous. I don't need to be afraid of bad news. He'll be with me in all of that. So verse 10, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for, bread for food. In other words, he supplies seed to the sower and that, that, that harvest from what is sown produces bread so that the eater can have bread you supply seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He'll give you the seed to sow. He'll give you the grace to sow grace. And you'll see an increase in this harvest of all that is right and all that is good. And you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So he says he'll be, he'll be generous with you in every way so you can be generous in every way. And you know what? I want to believe that. I want to believe that. And the only way I can believe that 
is to contemplate and think about how gracious God has been to me in Jesus. And I go, I bet he can do that. I bet he can do that. I needn't fear about being a generous person. God has been generous to me, to us. We needn't be we needn't be afraid to give. Now, how does he do that? How, how does he do that? And, and the answer is, I don't know. Exactly. Uh, you know, um, I, I, I think about the fact that he, he changes our values. So your income may not change, but you may find yourself over the years desiring to give more and able. I don't know. There are times when we, Karen and I, see needs and, and I say, let's, let's give more. And I kind of say, Tanya, Chief, well, maybe the cart won't break down this year. Maybe we don't need the money for that. Or maybe we won't get sick as much. Or, or maybe... No, frankly, in many of those years, the cart breaks down twice as much. But still, we're able to do it. <laughs> and it's a blessing to see how God has been gracious. I, I go back in my mind to that passage I read to you out of 1 Kings earlier. The prophet Elijah, it's just astounding to me. This woman says, I'm going to die. I, I, I have enough ingredients left for like a final meal for my son and me and that's it. And Elijah said, no, 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 no. Just keep cooking. <laughs> and you'll have enough. And they go, wow. Or the feeding of the 5,000, which is probably more like 10,000 because it was 5,000 men and I wouldn't go into the wilderness without a date. And so that's 10,000 already. And so, so you got children, you have, you know, you've got all these people there and, and, and no food. You got five little loaves of bread, little dinner rolls and a couple of little fish for a boy's lunch. And, and Jesus says, feed them. And you go, we haven't got anything. So what do you got? We got this. Don't you feel like that a lot of times? You hear the needs and you go, I got this. And, and, and Jesus said, well, bring it to me. Ah, that's the good, that's a good move. And then Jesus gives it to them. That's the amazing thing. I have no idea what that looked like. But you've got these 12 guys who just met this other guy. And he gives them one twelfth of five loaves and two fishes, do the math. And, and they can't give out enough. You know, they never run out. I mean, they just... In fact, so much so, he says, I just want to tell you how generous I am. There's 12 basketfuls left over. It's like, we had leftovers. And I think, yes, that's it, isn't it? That's the, that's the way God works. I think at the end of the day, they would have looked at each other and said, how that happened? Oh, we gave it to Jesus. I know, but how'd that happen? And there are times I trust in our lives when we look back and we say, how'd I give that? How'd that happen? And that's a great place 
a great place to be. And it all stems from the fact that he's given grace to us, this inexpressible gift. Notice, I'll just read these last verses. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's doing that. So people are blessed, which is great, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And that's the point of it. That's the ultimate point of it. That's the blessing of it. That's the return. You want to return from your giving, whatever that is, the, the blessing is when people receive it and they give thanks to God. Why? Because they knew it came from him, not from us. We know it came from him and not from us. And they give thanks to God. The end result of our generosity is worship. So when I give to the church for the building, I see the end result. Worship pleases me. Pleases God. When I see our kids running around knowing Jesus and learning of him, it pleases me. When I, when we do our VBS week and all of you are exhausted at the end of the week, but you're happy. Why? Because you've heard little children say thank you to God. We minister to one another when we help each other in need, financial need and otherwise. What's the blessing? The blessing is people giving thanks to God that frees us. So I'm not reluctant to give. Why? Because of the blessing. I want to be more generous. Why? Because of the blessing, which is, other people like me, other than Bob, nobody knows how much anybody gives, at least here. But it's so people will turn. So you look around, you go, that person's worshiping God. Yes. Those kids are hearing the truth. Yes. Those people are being fed. Yes. Those people are being cared for. Yes. Lastly, this. The word grace is used in three different ways in these two chapters. You know, the Greek word is charis. It's used first of the grace that enables us to be gracious. It's used second of the gift that's given. That's grace too. And it's used thirdly of the response, which is eucharistia. Thanksgiving. So God gives us grace that we may give grace so people may say grace and be thankful. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us, that we'd be that kind of, we'd be people like that. Please make us people like that. Please make me people like that. Um, so we can have the biggest budget or we can have the biggest this or the biggest that. But that you would be glorified. And people would give thanks to you. So help us, I pray. Free us from whatever you need to free us from. Fear, selfishness, whatever it is. That we may give generously. Father, I pray on this day for those who are suffering in various needs that we may be helpful to them. We may be people who bless them in in every way. We pray for Mark Brown as he flies back from New Zealand with a broken leg. And we pray that you'd be gracious to him and that you'd heal him on his return. For Marjorie Miller as she hears a good report about her cancer but yet still fights it with this medication. So please be with her. You may give us grace that we may give grace to her and you give grace directly to her to bring we trust. 
healing to for Seth Heidi's family on the death of his aunt. We pray for that family and for others who experience grief. Please, Father, bless us that we may so bless others with the grace that we've received. And this we pray in Jesus' name.